Welcome to the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by swordsmith Taro Asano. Taro is one of only a handful of practicing Kajir in Japan. He started smithing knives and swords in 1997 as an apprentice and continues to master his craft through continued practice at his workshop in Hashima City near Nagoya in Japan. Taro, thank you so much for joining us on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. Thank you for inviting uh, invite me. Thank you. I wanted to start by asking you a little bit about yourself. Uh-huh. So if you could tell us how and why you became a, a swordsmith. Okay. The, it, I'm, a, I'm Japanese swordsmith, Taro Asano. So nice to meet you. In Japan, sword making is all under the control of Japanese government. So we have to have a permission to make Japanese sword, let's say katana. So the, we have to have a minimum five years apprenticeship with master in Japan. Then in my case, I started apprenticeship with master from 20 years old. So I, and uh, I spent six years with master. So, so, and after that, I passed the Japanese exam, government exam. And so finally I became Japanese swordsmith and I graduated from master. How does the apprenticeship work? Oh yeah, it's very, very, very good question because Japan, you know, the Japanese apprenticeship is, it sounds like very hard and uh, it's, Jamak, would you help me to speak? Sure, sure. Thank you. <laughs> so he says that everyone is familiar with the, the student and teacher relationship. But not so many people are familiar with the master and apprentice relationship. So in, in a student-teacher uh, relationship, the, the teacher teaches what the student doesn't know. But in a apprenticeship relationship, is much closer to a father and son relationship. So sometimes we have to teach we have to teach what we cannot do, what I cannot do to survive in modern life, modern life, sometimes. So that's the uh, uh, main concept of Japanese master and uh, uh, apprentice relationship. And so is that six years, did you say? Mm-hmm. During that six years, are you uh, making your own swords during that time? Is it a lot of practice and trial and error? Yeah, mainly I practice and uh, helping my master's work. That's uh, that's my main main work. I never I never made uh, my own sword in his shop. Ah, that's interesting. So, and why is that? Mm-hmm. I mean, when you're working with your the master, why do you not make a sword for yourself and you oh, only yeah. make it for him? Uh, on every sword, uh, we never make so, we never make sword. Mo- for myself we only make for my clients and uh, my customer and his customer so the, uh, in when i when i was apprenticeship uh, apprentice uh, he got order and we had to make a sword for his clients so never we never make for myself when did you set up your own company so when i was 27 or 28 years old and uh, i make uh, i make yeah, I make, I make, uh, I just started to make a sword just after that. 
I, I don't I don't want to be rude. Is that a long time ago? <laughs> yeah, 20, 20. Oh, it's uh, maybe nearly 20 years ago. I don't want to be oh, rude. Okay, so not so long ago. Not so long ago. Thank oh, you. Okay, you are so very you... kind of. <laughs> Thank you. So you've been doing this a long time. Mm-hmm. When did you decide that this is what you wanted to do? Becoming a swordsmith is unnatural choice for more, for most people. But in my case, I started knife making from 13 years old. So the becoming swordsmith or becoming blacksmith is very natural choice for me. So I have no good answer. Okay. No, but that is a good answer, that it's a natural thing. <laughs> That's the best answer. <laughs> Thank you. I often think about craftsmanship within a Japanese context because I've been to Japan many times mm -hmm. and I, I'm always amazed at the craft in, you know, if it's knife making or if it's in um, ceramics or you know, paper. Are you called a takumi? Mm -hmm. uh, can you explain what a takumi is to us? Takumi is very, you know, it's a very big word. So a little difficult to explain all of the that word. The in in Japan, takumi is a little bit res, res, respectful word for craftsman. So we never say I'm a takumi or I'm a master, like something like that. So, but uh, it, uh, generally, takumi means like a uh, whom whom known whom knows well that field. Is that is that make sense? Sorry, so I cannot. Uh, yeah, so so you're an expert, an expert. Uh, so, yeah, doing... expert, expert. Yes, right. Yeah, that's the best word. Right. So there's another um, explanation that I'd like um, to know because when I saw your your uh, the name of your company, it's Asano Kajia. Mm -hmm. What does Kajia mean? Oh yeah, Kajia means a uh, blacksmith shop. Right. Okay. As then okay. Asano is my family name. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, um, so is the Kajia somebody who specifically makes um, swords, or is it a general term for blacksmith? Mm, it's a good question. Normally, uh, Kajia means a blacksmith. So the generally, every blacksmith makes the all of the things. It depends on each classman. Uh, in my shop, we I love all of the blacksmith blacksmith work, so I make everything. But sometimes the some of the black some of the swordsmiths doesn't like to make other things. It's a little difficult to explain in English, but uh, uh, some swordsmiths some so, some swordsmiths uh, names names their own shop. It's like a uh, uh, Asano swordsmith, swordsmith, uh, Asano swordsmith, or something like that. But in my case, I want to. I love. Of course, I love swordsmithing. But same time, I love the all of the culture of the blacksmithing culture and history. So I named my shop. I named my shop Asano Kajia. That's it's useful to know because there are so many meanings with the terminology. So it's useful to have that uh, understanding because then you can appreciate more the complexity of mm. um, how you 
you know, come to define the craftsmanship. Mm -hmm. What's the most exciting thing about your work? Mm. It's a, I, uh, before, before we talk about uh, this question, the, thank you for the great questions. It's very, very interesting and a very good question. Oh, thank you. Well, and uh, uh, actually, it's a very good stimulation for me. So, so he, he says that um, there's a, a common perception maybe in the West of seeing uh, Japanese craftsmen as being, you know, very passionate about their works and, and very, very focused, very narrow focus on, on their work. And uh, he says that, well, it's, it's true that we are very passionate, but there's also a, a side of that that's not so good in that you, you do become very narrowly focused and you lose uh, sight of the uh, maybe broader issues. And he wants to thank you for asking these questions that force him to, to think about exactly why is he doing that and, and what exactly is he doing. And so he's, he's thankful for that. Yeah, your question was, uh, what was my, what is my ex most exciting things to make? Mm. Well, the at few years ago, I was thinking the sword making what is my most, uh, the most exciting to create, creating something new. That's most exciting for myself, for me. And so, what is what something new, as in a, a different type of? Um, knife or sword or a different um, method of making? If I say, if I, ima if I imagine the Japanese sword, I imagine maybe the more than 1,000 style of swords. Uh, so if, if I say it means uh, uh, So he says that when you make something new, isn't really about making a new shape, but rather about sharing new values. For example, in modern times, the uh, we don't fight with we don't fight with sword, or we never met samurai. Yes, <laughs> well, hopefully so, not. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully not. So the actually, actually, the etone. Uh, so, so that's what he's saying is that the um, the value and and the of of a Japanese sword is completely different now than it was say a hundred years ago. Its meaning as an object. Right. And um, how is it? How has it changed? Is it changed because there are no samurais anymore, or is it changed because the values? You know, our values have changed. So, so he says, obviously, um, in the modern age, um, you don't get to use uh, a Japanese sword in the way that they do in, in period films, for instance. But that doesn't mean that Japanese swords have become completely meaningless and useless. Um, rather, people have can become, have a clearer view of their the, the true nature so he, he he's asking us if our first uh, reaction is to think that the primary function of a sword is to fight so as a question do you do you think that it's it's primarily a weapon well i suppose the um 
would the common sense answer be yes? But in mm -hmm. actual fact, it's not because <laughs> there's, there's, um, I'm just thinking because they, they are so elaborate, it's more an illustration of power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's, it's one of the, it's one of the answer, but, so he's asking you, if I told you that the purpose of swords is peace, would you believe him? Um, I would. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, the, sorry for the, uh, the strange conversation. Sorry, that I don't want to, I don't want to test you. It's like, a, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to sharing my feeling together yeah, yeah no that's yeah. that's great yeah so he says uh, a katana a japanese sword is a, uh, a perfect tool yes perfect tool so even as you're making it the, the shape and the function is is a perfect match yeah and so the, the the person who uses that tool is also demanding that perfection. So the, that that perfection, there are martial arts that use Japanese swords, and and these remain to this day. And the the people who use actually use this the, these swords to practice their uh, martial arts, and and they're using that tool in their practice of of that tradition, and in practicing their martial arts they achieve in, in a way a form of of peace in in their practice yeah sorry that it's really difficult to explain part but and i i i really don't like to say peace it sounds like little you know it it's a little cheap water but the it's like a Please imagine it's very similar with Formula Car. The it's like a as Japanese thought is very similar with Formula Car. The car driver needs to focus on one thing, and if he if they if if they scared something when they're driving, their body stiff like a tight, and they will they will they will happen some accidents. It's it's very similar. The so it's it's the similar with uh, the martial arts. If if you're facing a hundred enemies and and you you become distracted and you you become afraid, then your your body tenses up and you won't be able to to move freely and be in control. To to use a perfect tool perfectly means that even if you have a hundred people who wish you harm in front of you, you, you manage to, to remain in control and thus to remain free. So why, so this goes back to why it's, it's peaceful. If you have mastered your, 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 your sword and the, your, your art, your martial art, and even if there's a hundred people who enemies in front of you who want to attack you and you still remain in control how are you going to be act in your daily life when you don't have a hundred people wanting to kill you um you'll probably also be very much in control and you also very 
much in control of your, your actions and your emotions. And thus, you'll probably be more likely to lead a peaceful life because you won't be emotional. You'll be free and in control. That's a, that's, that's a really interesting interpretation, isn't it? Thank you. The Jamal, you're perfect. Translator, perfect. Thank you. Thank you. I, I've done this before. I've done this before. When one thinks about a sword or a knife, one just thinks about the sword or knife. So it's really interesting and useful, in fact, informative to get this um, detailed in a kind of understanding of the well, it's the psychology behind swordsmithing and the meanings behind the swords and why they're used or how they're used. Um, is the word samurai still used? Is it used in Japan? Yes and no. The uh, the real meaning of samurai is it's not it's not a fighter. It's a it's a it's it's more like a protector, guardian sort of sort of guardian. Is it is that the right word in this case? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, yeah, Gu guardian. Yeah. yeah, guardian. If you want to guard something, sometimes your family or your lover or your friends or your society. You are already samurai. Right. So, and that's interesting in itself because that fits then perfectly with the the explanation you've just given about the sword. Some Western people asking me like that, but uh, uh, the general meaning, general generally samurai, that word means a uh, fighter, and uh, it's, you know it's much more easy to share the share the feelings, but. Real meaning is little, little different. I want to ask you about your inspiration. What mm -hmm. inspires you? Basically, I'm a very simple and simple person. So, uh, I'm believing every idea or every 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 inspiration comes from my inside. The sometimes I'm I'm get I gather the, any information from others outside. But finally, the I'm not sure what happened. My inside that that uh, that informations maybe the maybe it changes some shapes my inside. But finally, it comes from my inside. And so, does that um, help you with your work? Yes, sure. Yeah, and in in what way? Hmm. Uh, I could. I could take off my limit. The basically my philosophy is the we have every people, every people has, uh, every people are talent, very talented, and uh, every people are some kind of genius. It's it's not a mathematics or uh, not e not easy to share sometimes. But basically every people has talent and to. Uh, Talented, and uh, so the uh, when we make a uh, we, during the growing process, we make a we make a li limitation in myself. But the after after finish after finish our education program, we have to take off my limitation from my inside from our inside. The when we take off my take off our limitation, we can be we can do every almost everything and uh, we could be the how to say that liberty from liberty from our 
っと、cage。あ、released from the cage. Uh, release from yeah. cage. Oh, okay.、Uh, yeah. mm. Okay.、Mm-hmm. Right. So the, the reason I'm, I, I guess the reason these questions are coming out as they, as they are is because I'm thinking now about, you know, we, we're going to talk about luxury and I'm thinking、mm. about this idea of luxury.、Mm-hmm. And there's a, it's a, you as a craftsman, I mean, just explaining what inspires you,、um, things that excite you about your work are very much about. You as a person, and that is then interpreted into the item, the thing you make, which is a knife or a sword. Is it luxury then what you do because of the way you do it? This, prob- this might not be the, the, the answer you were expecting, but he wants to share his, his understanding of luxury. Great. So, so he, he says that the The process of making a Japanese sword is very beautiful. Everything about it is beautiful. There's the, there's the fire, which is so beautiful. And then there's the, the iron, which is the material. It's beautiful itself. And then once you, 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 you fashion the sword, there's the sound. There's the sounds. There's all these sounds that are also very beautiful. So the whole process is filled with beauty. So anyone can see that, that beauty. But there is further beauty that is beyond that also. But that beauty that is less obvious can only be appreciated with time. And only the people who have spent time can really perceive that deeper beauty. So only the people then who have spent a lot of their time can finally see the, the, the deeper beauty in the object. And when People do that to, to some of your work, spend the time to really truly appreciate your work. That is, as far as he's concerned, as, as craftsman, that is the, the greatest luxury that he can imagine. So, how that can help in his work, he says that now this conversation that you're ha- we're having is, is exactly that. This is what helps him、uh, as a craftsman in his work. はい、wow, that's amazing. はい、so, so when he, he's working, when he's craft, crafting swords, there are times when he, he gets to, to, to taste that the essence of, of what he's doing, and that's, that, that's very precious. So, so to, to perceive that, that, that essence,、uh, either through actually you know, seeing the, the objects, the, the katana, but also talking about, about them, talking about the craft. Um, is, is something that he feels is very important. It's quite inspirational to hear somebody talking about their work in that way. One often doesn't hear the, that passion that goes into the craft of an object. And then when you describe your work, it brings a completely different understanding of what luxury,、um, what luxury might be specifically related. To this craftsmanship and the skill. So, you, you know, you've been working for 20 odd years as a, as a master craftsman, and you're continuously perfecting、um, your work. And I was just, how long does it take to make a sword or a, or a knife? And would you, I mean, but there's a second part to the question would you consider time? As part of the luxury, because 
you know, do things take different times? Do you spend more time on one thing than on another? And does that have any bearing on the way you think about luxury? So, so he, he wants to, to you asking how, how long does it take to, to, to be able to make a sword? When he wants to, to just make sure, make clear that he, he hasn't in his whole career made a sword that he's satisfied with. So he doesn't know how long it takes to be able to make a sword because as far as he's concerned, he hasn't reached that point yet. But if you want to have a straighter answer, then in in general terms, um, it, it's said that it takes approximately 10 years of practice to be able to, to make a sword. So during these 10 years, you are receiving all that, that that knowledge and these experience and you're you're soaking this this up for 10 years but once you you've 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 been soaking up information for 10 years you, there there's so much things that you you know so much knowledge that it keeps you from making it, it becomes a hurdle so yes yeah, so he became an information collector so for that reason he decided to forget everything that he knew about sword making and it took him another 10 years to be able to get rid of all the information that wasn't strictly necessary to sword making and so now he's he's only focusing on what he really needs in order to be able to make what he wants to make are, are you making everything yourself or do you have people in your workshop uh, sure the, i have some apprentice and i have my assistant Right. So, uh, uh, or blacksmithing looks like, uh, looks like, uh, a lot of people think it's, it's a solitary work, blacksmithing, but it's, it's actually teamwork. Just explain to us the process of making a sword or a knife, because they're different. I'm assuming there are different components. Sean, actually it's a, little bit big question to answer in the, in oh. this time well okay so the, so actually sword making process is too long to explain right okay and yeah it's also same same with uh, knife making it's very long process so the, it's a little difficult to explain that in this time but the from my view the sword making so the i think that shown uh, every people thinks the Sword making takes a long time and uh, also knife making is and uh, it looks like knife making, sword making, yeah. The closest work to um, blacksmithing and, and, and sword making and knife making is, is actually agriculture. Okay, it's, it's the important thing in both is to uh, take the correct action at the correct time. Uh, that is what is important. And then he said that he forgot what he was going to say after that. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. But so you start, I mean, this is going to be a slightly um, a question coming from somebody who knows nothing about um, knife making or sword making. 
you start with a lump of metal and then you start um, heating it and beating it and shaping it um, in and out of water, in and out of heat. Is that correct? It's totally different process. And in Japan, Japanese sword need a minimum four craftsmen to make it. The, I'm taking blade part, forging part. And uh, it, uh, some polisher make it shiny and scabbard and small metal parts. So finally, it, it needs a long time to, uh, to make one. Right. So do you, but you can make everything. Is that no. correct? You no. can't make everything. I okay. cannot do that. Oh, okay. Okay. So your specialism is the metal. Yes. Yeah. And what kind of, what, where's the metal from? Is it a special kind of metal? So the the type of um, metal ore that's used is called in Japanese tamahagane. And this is a uh, metal that comes from the uh, prefecture of Shimane. And uh, that particular uh, metal ore is reserved for uh, sword making. So you, you, you can't, you're not allowed to use it for anything else. And why is that? Mm. In modern times, Japanese sword is not not only weapon. So we uh, we have to carry on uh, to, uh, all the skill and all the knowledge. And uh, also, we also, we have to, uh, to carry on culture. So the Tamahagane uh, making process is it, it has a very cultural meanings. So we have to carry on all of that that culture. Right. That and where sense? does the metal come from? It's from all Japan. So I understand. So, you know, in, in Europe, there's a lot of talk about, you know, the best steel coming from, I don't know, <laughs> Germany or the best steel coming from <laughs> somewhere else. Um, is... Mm-hmm. Um, does it make a difference what steel you use for the swords? Is or is it more the what you do with the steel that makes the difference? So he's aware that uh, various people have various opinions about the various qualities of steel and which one is best. But as a blacksmith, he feels that it's not that important, and and he feels that that's the main difference between knife makers and and Japanese blacksmiths. So the knife maker's job is to make the best knife possible. So it's from that perspective, it's uh, obvious that there will be various opinions as to what's the best material to make the best knives. But he feels that the the, the really the the core of being what means to be a blacksmith is to be able to make something useful from nothing. So especially in Japan, which is a very disaster-prone country, where we have floods, we have fires, we have earthquakes, and all of these things uh, can completely destroy a village in an instant. And and that's happened throughout history many, many times. And and that's the context in which uh, he's working. 
The, the most important skill as a Japanese blacksmith isn't to make the best possible tools, is to be able to run away from danger. And so he's actually taught how to safely evacuate their workshop. And so the reason for that is that when there's a disaster that destroys the whole village, after the village has been destroyed, the most important tools to remake and rebuild are the, the metal tools, just for, for, for strictly for survival. And so the, the skills of the blacksmith are absolutely necessary for the survival of the village. And that's why the blacksmith has to know how to run away from danger. For that reason, even if everything has been destroyed, even if there's nothing, then if you're a, a true blacksmith, then you should be able from almost nothing, at least make something that's useful so that you can rebuild and you can actually survive. So I just wanted to ask, because lots of that, now there are lots more questions. <laughs> um, so firstly, if the, we think about, and I often, myself, I often think about luxury and craftsmanship, not only about the skill of the maker, but also the materials that the maker uses. And it's interesting to you saying that it's not as much about the material, it's more about you as the maker. If I, if I, could, if I could answer simply, the way I'm, I make, uh, I, I'm using best steel. I want to say that, but actually, the it's not the. I I understand. I understand the main concept of this conversation. That's the luxury. What is the luxury? The uh, for us. The the my correct uh, real answer is tamahagane is basically very very expensive. Very expensive, but much cheaper than gold or that kind of that platinum or that kind of special special metal. But sometimes, uh, but when we make a when we make a sword with a very high skill and uh, yes, as as he said, so the, the the raw materials are less expensive than gold and or platinum. But if you add craftsmanship, skill, and time, eventually the object becomes more expensive, more valuable than if it had been made out of gold. Mm. No, exactly. I mean, that I and that's what I was getting to. So it's not only about the material, because mm -hmm. the material can be the mess material, mm -hmm. but unless you have your skill, mm -hmm. then the material has no value. Exactly, yes. So the materials are very important. And do you describe what you do as being precision engineered? Is it very, very precise? Extremely so. Extremely. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thinking about the domestic utensil, you know, thinking about the knife, does it make a difference using a very sharp knife with what you cut? Because I've heard, you know, some chefs saying, that the Jap Japanese knives are the best knives to use when you're cooking because they, when you're cutting a tomato, it does something different to the molecule. Mm -hmm. Is mm -hmm. that do you, is that true? Because the knife is so sharp, it cuts differently. Totally different. The 
Eh, uh, that's the biggest part of the biggest part of the different different of the of Japanese swordsmithing, uh, Japanese bladesmithing, and Western knife making or Western bladesmithing. The, fortunately, fortunately, we could carry on. We have, uh, uh, so, so Japan was very lucky because um, the um, the sword making and the use of the sword and the uh, appreciation of the swords, oral traditions that have survived. This can also be said um, for, for knives, because the, once you, you, you have a knife, you have to, to take care of it, and there's a proper maintenance is important. And that's that's knowledge that, that is, has still survived. And it's not just the maintenance, but it's also how to use it. And this is also true for the knife. Even if you give the best knife to someone who doesn't know how to use them properly, you can't say that it's a good knife. It becomes a good knife if it's in the hand of someone who actually knows how to use them. Okay, so the craftsmanship extends beyond you, Taro. The mm -hmm. craftsmanship extends to the user. Mm -hmm. So you, the craftsman, in making it, and mm -hmm. then the craftsman also comes from the person using it. Exactly. exactly. It's not to have to be. Uh, so it's one part of my our work because the not ha people not have to be not have to be some kind of expert. Not have to be that. So the communicating and communicating with client or communicating with uh, those some people. And so finally, we make we have to make an individual knife for that clients. When you think about craftsmanship and luxury. Mm -hmm. You typically think about the person making the thing. You don't think about the person using. And this is interesting. The luxury extends beyond only the maker. Because if you think about people using those things and they're buying something that you have spent the time per... I know you've said you haven't made the perfect knife yet, but spent the time perfecting the item that somebody's buying, you expect that person to be as oh, what's it, respectful of mm. the good of the thing that they're using. But often the user is not as respectful because they go and buy <laughs> something and just use it. So this mm. brings, it's a very interesting um, discussion about um, craftsmanship and luxury in that, you know, the two things go together thing that you make and you as the craftsman and the person that uses it and i've actually i've never heard or had this discussion before where people where you, there's that connection it's a very powerful statement what do you think um, luxury and craftsmanship are how would you define luxury and how would you define craftsmanship what is defined えっとね、職人技の定義ですか？それとも贅沢の定義ですか？贅沢の定義。I have no idea. <笑><笑> so, 
what things in, in which he he feels uh, luxury tend to be very simple things. So, for instance, once he has particularly good sushi or a very good bowl of ramen, that's when he feels real luxury. And the sushi cut with a very good knife. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, what about craftsmanship? Mm, it's uh, exactly same meaning as life. That's the craftsmanship. The, uh, to, uh, to know. When we when we uh, when we want to be some kind of craftsman, it needs a time. That's the most important part. The uh, it's we cannot be that only one day. The the if I say when I say when I say uh, to you know the life equal equal with time. You know the the when we become the swordsmith, the becoming swordsmith is not big. It's real difficult, not not easy, but not super super difficult. The but most important part is uh, it's not it's not a uh, it's not a uh, how to how to become swordsmith. It's more to so this is something you can say about all craftsmen. What is important is not how you become one. Rather, it's how you live your life as one. Let's say, how do we survive with that craftsmanship, that craft? As you, you live your life as a craftsman, you get to meet all sorts of people and you get to, to communicate with all sorts of people and to share with all sorts of people and those interactions then feed back into your own work and that's the craftsman way of life okay um and i want to end uh tarot as i do with on all my podcasts i want to ask you what your luxury is mm, one cup of coffee in morning wow okay what kind of coffee <laughs> Yeah, it's a self-grind self coffee. Wow. Okay, brilliant. Uh, Taro Asano, thank you so much for joining us on the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. And Jean-Marc Pelletier, thank you so much for um, doing all the amazing translations. Thank you. Well, yeah, thank, thank you. Thank, yeah, thank you for the great time. Taro, thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you for listening. Thank you to our sponsors, Intellect Books. Don't forget, you can catch up on all our previous episodes at InPursuitOfLuxury.com or your chosen platform. We look forward to seeing you again on the next episode of In Pursuit of Luxury.